Come on now, it is an honor to be here with you today. For those of you joining us online, it is a privilege to be able to come into your homes. We do not take that lightly. And let me tell you that today, I believe that the Word of God is able, it is capable, it is powerful, and it can speak directly to our needs, to our circumstances. It can uplift us, it can transform our lives. Do you believe that today? Come on now, give God some praise for that. Well, today we're going to continue in a series that we've been in over the last several weeks, a series that we're entitling uh, Travel Light. And you know, life is a lot like a journey. Really, it is. We're going through ups and downs, uh, this way, that way. There are things that we expect, things that we don't foresee, things that happen. There are things that we plan. And along the way, we have the tendency to do what a lot of people do when you go and travel. You ever go vacation and you pack up but you don't just pack you pack up you pack heavy right you need multiple bags just for your sandals ladies your shoes look at y'all saying amen no 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 let me tell you why I say that because the journey of light is not one where we're supposed to travel heavy life is meant to be light you can live without burdens. You can live without being weary. You can live without anxieties. But it requires something that most of us must consider, that all of us should consider. It's God's plan. Let me tell you what that is. Matthew 11, starting at verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are what? Weary and burdened. And watch what he says, And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest where? For your souls. Now, I want you to consider that Jesus is speaking to us about a rest that goes beyond our circumstances. When we think about rest, we're thinking about rest and relief from an issue, from a person, from a challenge, from an obstacle, from a problem that we foresee. But Jesus is not talking about that. See, rest doesn't come from relief in our circumstances. Rest comes within the soul. We're having some technical issues, so let me just shut this. Can you hear me? All right. Sorry about that. Thank you, guys. And so rest happens in the soul. It doesn't come in the circumstances. As a matter of fact, our circumstances should be impacted, and they will be impacted by what happens within the soul. It's for that reason that Jesus tells us in verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so I want you to consider something, that Jesus invites us to come to him. He invites us to learn from him. But why? Because he wants to heal us, not in our circumstances, he wants to heal the root. He wants to heal us in our souls. See, what happens within impacts how we experience life on the outside. And oftentimes, we get so caught up in what, what's going on on the outside. We want relief on the outside. We want transformation on the outside. But we neglect what's happening on the inside. And that's why Jesus deals with the soul see it's an issue in the soul i'm reminded of a uh, that uh, uh an occasion that happened many years ago in history in the 1900s early 1900s with the titanic now i know some of you you believe that the titanic was a movie right and they made a movie about it 
but I can assure you it wasn't a love story. The Titanic is actually something that occurred. It was the world's largest ship known to men in its time. It was so large that the headline in the newspaper in those times was uh, this, this, uh, the builders of this ship had declared, this ship is so big, it's so large that not even God himself could sink it. That's how much confidence they had in it. And so on, the, on, on this journey after it had departed from dock, um, many people had paid really good money to be on this ship, to be the first to be in the world's largest ship. And it just so happened that on a particular night, the captain got three different calls warning them, don't go into these particular waters. There are glaciers there. Well, the captain, according to history, neglected the messages. He neglected the warnings. Why? Because what he saw didn't intimidate him. What he didn't know is that glaciers are made up of 10% of what you see above the water and 90% of what's below the water. What's my point with that? What will sink you in life is not what's above the surface. It's how you respond in the soul. It's what's beneath the surface. And so the word soul in the Bible is commonly used in the Old and New Testament to mean this. It speaks of the inner part of the man where our desires, our appetites, our emotions, and our passions are seated. It's where the mind, the will, and the emotions operate. And like the captain of the Titanic, if we do not pay attention to the dangers that lie dormant beneath the surface, in the depths of our soul, we too will sink in life. I want you to consider the word of God. In John chapter, in third John, verse one, chapter one, verse two. Listen to the word of God. It says, beloved, somebody say, that's me. Now, I want you to consider something, that God truly loves you. And the reason that I mention that is because he loves you so much that he cares to give you truth that will go to the part that needs the most attention. It's not the outside man. It's the inner man. And so listen to what he says. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health. I want you to see that it's an inside-out approach. God wants us to be well in all circumstances, in all facets of life, but he also wants us to be well in health. But watch this. As it goes well with your soul. Do you see the correlation between the soul and what happens in our daily lives. See, if your soul is not well, your life cannot be well at all. And so it's God's will that all be well with us. He's interested in the whole being. But we must be willing to grow well in the soul. Now, the soul is the most active part of our makeup as human beings. See, we're constantly reasoning, thinking, calculating, planning, plotting. Our feelings are constantly fluctuating. We're up, we're down, we're this, we're that. Our will is either working in tandem with God or against him. This is all happening in the soul on a daily, moment-by-moment -moment basis. But what I want you to consider is that what you allow to work in your soul will either strengthen you or sink you. What you allow to work in your soul will either bless you or mess you up. What you allow to work in your soul will either make you or break you. Can I, can I just share some, 
a, a good piece of truth for us. You can't change what people do. You can't change what people say. You may not be able to change circumstances, but I will tell you what you can change, what happens within you. And if we learn to take accountability, to be accountable and operate in the realm of the soul, to take responsibility and work in, in union with God in this area, what we will see is that we will begin to be well in every other area. Anybody interested in being well in life? Come on now. Listen, I'm giving you keys to freedom here. And so it's for that reason that I feel strongly that God has given us a message on the topic of you must win within. Somebody tell somebody, win within. Tell somebody else, win within. Listen, if you're not winning within, you're not winning at all. You're not winning at all. If you're faking it and trying to make it, you're not making anything. You're living a lie, and you will reap the destruction that it brings. And so if we're going to win in life, we can't do it at the surface level of life. Would you agree? We can't put so much focus on behaviors, habits, and hang-ups. You know what that's called? Religion. Religion says, stop doing that. Stop acting that way. Stop behaving that way. Stop thinking that way. Stop looking that way. That's what religion does. Religion doesn't address the soul. Religion tries to control the outer man. But you see, God isn't about religion. God is after your heart. And so I submit to you that we must win within the soul by developing the right perspective. And for some of us, we're, we're wearing the wrong frames in life. Everybody kind of put on your shades for a moment. Put those on. Isn't it interesting that when you put those shades on, it gives you a different tint for life. It changes what you see. It distorts it. Right? It transforms what you see. You might say, oh, it's, I'm looking at the same thing. It's just a different color. Well, let me tell you, if you're looking at life and saying, oh, it's the same thing. It's just how I see it. Can I submit to you that you're changing what God has determined is good for your life? Yeah, take those frames off. Going to take those off. You can keep them, but I just pray they remind you that God wants you to see differently. He wants you to have a different perspective for life. And it starts within the soul. So the scripture tells us of a day when King David was a boy. And he won a great battle. But you see, he didn't win this battle because of his physical strength and size and, and skill and capability. No, David won from within first. The way the, the, the Bible records it, his father had sent them to bring food and resources to his brothers who were in the king's army. And there was a battle line that had formed. There was a battle that was supposed to be taking place. So the father tells David, David, leave the sheep that you're tending. And I want you to go to the battlefield and I want you to take these resources to your brothers and see how they're faring. Bring it to their commanders as well. And so David is on mission to go to this battlefield. But you must understand for context that prior to this moment, David had already been anointed to be the next king of Israel. So get this. Think about this. A king is going to a war. 
Nobody acknowledges him as king yet. Many people don't know. But within him, there's a king showing up in the body of a boy. And so David comes to the battlefield, and when he arrives, he's alarmed at what he sees. You see, he, he gets a disturbing picture. He sees this giant in the middle of the battlefield in this valley between these two mountaintops. On one side are the people of Israel. On the other side are the armies of the Philistines. And there's this one giant Philistine, a guy named Goliath, who the Bible says was over nine feet. And he's shouting out to them for over 40 days at this point. And he's saying, is there not any man in all Israel that would come down and fight me? He's emasculating them. He's saying, you're not men. Send me at least one man that would dare come and fight me. And if he beats me, then we'll be subject to you. But if I beat him, then you'll be subject to us. We don't have to have this war. Let it just be man on man. And David comes on the scene, and he's hearing this, and he's seeing, he's questioning what's going on. But what he's also questioning is, why is the king of Israel and the mighty men of war sitting behind these lines cowering in fear something's not right something is wrong and so the scripture says that David begins to ask what's going on he's asking amongst the men and he hears that the king has a great idea this is the the king's attempt to motivate someone to step up because he won't step up and so he says whoever from, from the army of Israel, whoever, whatever, whatever man from Israel steps out into battle and defeats this giant Goliath, I will give him access to be part of my royal family by way of marriage to my daughter. And he will have his own lot as royalty in my circle. And so David hears this and he's like, the king said, what? And he's asking all these questions. And all of a sudden, his older brother, Eliab, who was in the army and was a man of war, a skilled man of war, Eliab shows up and he says, David, what are you doing here? Who are taking care, who's taking care of those little sheep that you're supposed to be taking care of? I know why you came. You came because you didn't want to take care of the sheep. You used it as an excuse to come and watch the battle from afar. You know what he's saying to David? You're afraid. You're small. You don't belong here. Get out of here, kid. Beat it. Scram, kid. You bug me. Right? He's disrespecting David. And David is saying, what did I do wrong? And so it turns out that as David is hearing this giant, this guy Goliath with these taunts, and he's seeing the fear amongst the people of Israel and the king, that something rises up deep within him. A king awakens. A king awakens. And David says, I'll fight him. And so all of a sudden, it causes a stir amongst all the people. What do you, what do you mean? He's just a boy. He, what is he talking about? Is he really going to go out there and fight him? Can you believe this little guy? He's, he's talking about he's going to fight him. And all these guys are going, man, he's crazy. Go for it, kid. We'll watch you die. But word gets to the king that David has declared that he will go and fight Goliath. And the king sends for him. He says, you can't go fight him. You're just a boy. He's a man seasoned in war. You have no skill and no ability. Well, David convinces Saul that he can do it because he says, I'm going in the name of the Lord. We're going to look at that a little bit more. So Saul tries to give him his own personal armor, the best armor in all Israel, the kings. He gives it to him. He says, at least put this on then and go with God. 
And David puts it on and he goes, I can't wear what you wear. I'm not called to wear what fits you. I'm called to operate in what I'm supposed to. And so David leaves without an armor. He goes with five smooth stones and a sling. And he goes out into battle. Let's see what happens at this point. 1 Samuel 17, starting at verse 41. May, meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him. This guy was so big that somebody carried his shield for him in front of him. Right? So he's got a shield bearer, and he kept coming closer to David. And he looked at David over, and he saw that he was little more than a boy. This is what Goliath saw. This is what he's concluding. And he was glowing with health and handsome, and he despised them. That word, that, that word despised there means that he cast them off as irrelevant. Verse 43, and he said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said. I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Now, I want to pause right there for a moment because I want you to consider something. What you're hearing David say is a result of what's been already simmering in his heart. This has already been operating in his mind, in his will, and in his emotions. This, this, this isn't knee-jerk reaction. No, this has been operating in his heart for a long time. Verse 46, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down, and I'll cut your head off. Some, some of you here need to tell that to whatever it is you're facing. You need to declare that this day is the day that this ends. I come against you in the name of the Lord. And so he goes on to say, um, this very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward, uh, uh, toward, the, uh, toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone, the stone stank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. And so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand. And he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's, Philistine's sword and drew it from its chief. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. You know, there's something that we can conclude here from David's life example as it pertains to the soul. It's that what you do within your soul determines what you do without. What you do within determines what you do without. Let me ask you a question. How's your soul? How's your soul? I know that's a loaded question. How do you even know that? Well, let me ask you a question. How are your emotions? Are you wrestling with anxieties? Do you panic often? Do you make decisions based on feelings? Do your feelings drive you more than reason? 
Do your thoughts get in the way of what the Word of God declares? Are you prone to be moved by what you see on the outside as opposed to living from the inside? See, if you are driven this way in life, my friend, I submit to you with all due respect and with the love of God that you are unstable in the soul. You're hurting. And Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Come to me. And let me teach you. Let, 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 me, let me show you how life is supposed to be lived. And I will give you rest in your soul. Stop looking for relief in circumstances. Start looking for rest that produces relief in your circumstances when you let God operate in your soul. Amen? And so we've got to really dig into this because there's some lessons that we can glean from David's life on winning within. And one of the first things that I want to propose to you for reflection, but also for application, I'm of the belief that God's word means what it says when it tells us that we are not to simply be hearers of the word, but that we are to be doers. And I'm telling you, that if you will do these things, it will open up an avenue for you in life where you will operate from a life of rest. You will not be moved by circumstances. You will live free. You, will, you may face challenges, but you won't pick up baggage along the way. Amen? Anybody interested in that today? Come on now. So the very first thing that I want to propose to you for application and consideration is that when people try to bury you, remember that God planted you. Let me say that again. When people try to bury you, Remember that God planted you. What are you talking about, Pastor Jose? In the heat of battle, David was as cool as cool can be. This guy showed up and he was as cool as you could be in battle. Why? Because he was traveling light. But the question is, how did he get there? Now, I submit to you that David was no stranger to being overlooked, to being put down. If you study his life, what you'll see is that when David was to be anointed as king and the prophet Samuel showed up to the house of a man named Jesse to anoint one of his sons, he didn't know which one it was going to be, Jesse forgot that he had another son. He forgot about David. They went down the line to anoint the king. None of them were, 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 was to be the king. And Jesse forgot that his son David was out in the field tending to sheep. See, his father overlooked him. What we see here also is that his brothers overlooked him. He shows up on the battlefield and they're saying, man, you're just a shepherd. You don't belong here. You're too small. You're too young. Get out of here, pipsqueak. The king overlooked him. The king says to him, you're too young. You're not qualified. You're not capable. Have you ever been told that? I'm sure you have. I have too, right? But let me tell you something. When people count you out, they can't count out the anointing of God. People may try and cancel you, but they can't cancel the God and his call upon your life. Somebody give God some praise. Even Goliath cancels him. He says, what, are you, what, are you, what is this? You're sending a little kid here with some sticks and some stones? See, everybody was telling David, you can't win. No matter the anointing upon your life, you can't prevail. 
No matter the call of God upon your life, you can't make it. No matter how it once started and where you were in life, in your walk with Christ, where you, was, where you were experiencing great results and you were free and you were healthy and strong inside and out. No matter that. See, people will they'll point you to that. They'll point you to your mistakes. And what they're trying to do is bury your call. They're trying to bury your anointing. They're trying to bury your destiny. And if you're not careful, you'll grow weary and you'll live burdened by letting others heap upon you their discouragement. But like David, you and I cannot allow it. You can't allow it. You can't just follow the trend. Because the trend has nothing to do with your call. The circumstances have nothing to do with your anointing. You who believe in Christ, you who are just starting on this journey, you who are online, you who may not know Christ. Let me say something to you. The scripture declares this, that you have an anointing and you know all things. There is a divine destiny and purpose that God has in store for you. It is a good purpose. It is a good plan. It is taking you places. You are created to do more and be more than you can fathom in your own mind and heart. Don't worry about what people have told you. Don't worry about what your past has been. Don't judge yourself based upon your track history of mistakes. Don't bury yourself. See, because you are God's chosen and you're loved by God, you're planted. When people try to bury you, you need to remember, I'm planted. I'm not buried. See, when you're planted, something's happening. Like a seed, they may not see it. Nobody may believe it. They may hate upon you. They may doubt you. They may tell you, don't do it. You're not able no, God's working. Let me show you that. Psalm 92, starting at verse 11, it says, My eyes have seen the defeat of my adversaries. This is David, a meditation of his heart. He says, My ears have heard the rout of my wicked foes. The righteous. Somebody say, that's me. Tell somebody else, he's talking about you. Listen, the righteous shall flourish, shall flourish like a palm tree. Palm trees, no matter the wind, no matter the waves, no matter the storms, they may bend, they may move, but they remain standing. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. That's a strong tree. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. Somebody needs to hear this. You may be a little bit older, but you're not done. You're just getting started. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. My friend, people may dismiss you. They may overlook you. They may count you out. They may write you off. They may... Uh, Cast you aside, but like a seed planted beneath the ground, you are planted in the dwelling of the place of God Most High, and your roots are strong. Don't you dare give up. Mm. The second point that I want to propose to you for reflection and application is that what you tell yourself matters more than what you see. What you tell yourself matters more than what you see. Everyone who saw Goliath told themselves this. That's a big giant. That's a giant. But if you look at the scriptures, you know what I love? 
that nowhere in it does it record that David calls him a giant. In fact, David calls him an uncircumcised Philistine. What giant? What giant? David saw the same thing that everyone else did. He saw his gigantic size, but David didn't acknowledge his size over the size of his God. My friend, listen closely. We don't deny that there are challenges in life. We don't deny that there are big obstacles at times. But we cannot acknowledge them and by way of doing that replace the size of our God. God is greater than anything you are facing or will ever face in life. You are not done because you are God's planting. You are his masterpiece. You are valuable. You are anointed. You are called. You are chosen. You know, it's one of the things that I struggled as a kid, when I was a teenager especially, believing that I was capable. I used to look at these people in church, the way they dressed, the way they talked, it was so eloquent, right? The fact that they wore these big bright suits that I didn't know they bought at JCPenney's for like whatever it was. I mean, I'm not knocking them for where they bought it from, but, you know, it was, it was all flash. It was all hype. It was all smokescreen. And I was so impressed by what I saw. And because I was impressed and I judged myself and compared myself by what I saw, I believed that I was worthless. I believed that I was too little, that I was dumb, that I was no good for God. Can I tell you, my friend, don't look to the left and don't look to the right. Look to Jesus because that's your story. You win. You are able. You are capable. You can do it. Can't is not a part of your vocabulary. Can't is just you is doubt, full of lies. You are robbing yourself from what the Bible says. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Come on, be encouraged today. It reminds me of a story I once heard of a little boy who was afraid of the neighborhood bully. He used to see this guy every day, and he would cower in fear. I mean, he would get this shiver up his spine and just start sweating the moment he saw this kid because this kid bullied everyone. He was big. He was huge. And so one day around Christmas time, his parents bought him a telescope, and he happened to be in his room, and he pulls out the telescope, and he gets a glimpse from the corner of his eye that the, the bully's outside picking on a bunch of kids. And so he grabs his telescope to, you know, get a closer view and see what he's actually doing. But what he didn't realize is that he grabbed it backwards. So while he's looking through the telescope, this big bully that he was afraid of appeared really small. Right about that time, his father comes into the room and he says, son, what are you doing? You're using that wrong. Turn it around the other side. He says, no, daddy, I like this side better because that big bully... He's kind of small right now, and I'm not afraid of him anymore. Let me tell you why I share that with you, my friend. Because you have to flip what you see and start telling yourself a new narrative. 
You need to begin to tell yourself what the word of God declares. I love a song from way back in the days that said, though there be giants in the land, I will not be afraid. The scripture says that greater is he that is in who? Me. That's right. Than he that is in the world. If God be for you, who can be against you? The scripture declares that you are strong and courageous because the Lord is with you wherever you go. And the scripture also says that the Lord fights for you. And you and I have only to stand. See, you got to tell yourself what the word of God declares. You have to encourage yourself. You have to stir up your own faith. Stop waiting for somebody to come and pat you on the back and massage your feelings. You don't need that. You need to take hold of the truth. You need to stand firm. Amen? Amen. Psalm 18, verse 28 and 29 says this. You light a lamp for me. This is David speaking again. He says, the Lord, my God, lights up my darkness. In your strength, I can crush an army. With my God, I can scale any wall. I have a question for you. Is there anybody here that serves the same God as David? Come on now. It's time to start climbing some walls. It's time to start crushing some enemies, some armies. Hmm. See, you may have a warped perspective in your soul. What do I mean by that? So maybe you have some fears. Maybe you have some doubts. Maybe you have some anxieties. But let me remind you that the scripture says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Why is that important to consider? Because while fears may be there, God is there shining a light upon you, affirming you and telling you, I got you covered. You stand. You keep pressing. You keep doing what's right. You stay faithful and watch the goodness of God lead you into the land of the living. The next point I want to share with you for reflection and Application is that though your enemies have weapons, listen, you have a covenant. Your enemies may have weapons, but you have a covenant. What am I talking about? See, David didn't just face a giant. David faced a giant who had a gigantic amount of experience as a warrior. He was skilled in the art of war. But none of that matters when you understand that the covenant that you have with God is greater than any enemy that comes against you. A covenant, according to the scriptures, according to God's word, God says, my word shall not return to me empty. The scripture says that, that uh, God's promises are yea and amen. It is yes and amen. That's his answer to them. In other words, if God said it, if God declared it, if God called you, if God has sent you, then nothing can change that. He's a God of covenant. And so when David stepped out onto this battlefield, this giant is saying to him, hey, little boy, come here with your sticks and your stones. Let me show you what a real man is. But the scripture says that David replied to him, you come at me with spear and sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. Listen to what David is saying. I'm coming to you under the banner, under the authority, under the right of Almighty God. You may come at me with your spear and your sword. You are the one who's coming at me with sticks. I'm coming at you with all heaven backing me. Let me remind you, child of God, that when you show up, God shows up. 
when you show up, God shows up. Jesus encouraged us to pray this way. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on he in heaven, as, in earth, as it is in heaven. I want you to see that all heaven and its heavenly hosts are with you and are for you. Move forward. Amen? Amen. Isaiah 54.10 puts it this way. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed. But listen what God says. But my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace. That's the Hebrew word shalom. And it's just not talking about tranquility. That speaks of safety. That speaks of security. That speaks of blessing. That speaks of provision. That speaks of healing. And so watch what God says. My covenant of shalom shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Your enemies may have an arsenal of weaponry, of weaponry full of lies. They may have evil intentions. They may have discouragement that they keep throwing at you. They may have resources that operate uh, uh, against you. They may have plans for your destruction for your destruction, but have no fear. You have God's covenant. Listen closely. They may come at you with lies. They may come at you with their plots, but you have a kingdom that backs you. And with that kingdom comes the king and his power. The last point I want to leave you here with as we close is that your soul is more important than your role. Your soul is more important than your role. Hear me. Oftentimes, we focus so much on who we think we are on the outside. We try to perfect the outside, to beautify the outside. Got to live at a certain standard. Got to look a certain way. Got to keep up with the Joneses, right? I gotta get better in this area. I gotta change these behaviors. I gotta do all this modification and all this renovation on the outside. But as we see from the words of Jesus, that's not where he works. He works on the inside. And oftentimes we focus on our role instead of our soul. And we rob ourselves of solutions. We rob ourselves of true freedom. We lose out on peace. Let's stand here today as we're closing. You know, your soul is a lot like a thermostat. Pretty cool in here, if you ask me. Don't you just love some air conditioning? But let me tell you what's actually happening here. We have a thermostat, and we set that thermostat to a certain temperature. And what that thermostat does is it normalizes and brings stability to the inside of this building. While on the outside, it may rise up to 90, 100. On the inside, it remains 65. While on the outside, it may get very cold. And, it, and there may be winds and there may be storms, whatever. On the inside, the thermostat keeps it steady and at the same place. My friend, 
when you focus on your soul as opposed to your role and you allow the truth that we've been learning today and you allow God and his spirit to impact you on the inside, it brings stability. It brings a new normal, one that releases you from burdens, one that heals you from the inside out. I want you to do something, not for me, but for yourself. I want you to take a moment with God. Go ahead and close your eyes if you dare. Nobody's going to do anything to you. Don't worry about it. And I want you to consider something. Where are you in the soul? What's weighing you down? What worries you? What's robbing you of peace? I submit to you, my friend, that we all can identify with that. We can, we, we can acknowledge what's there. And Jesus says, let me heal you there. Let me teach you a new way there. Because you see, you want relief from circumstances. But I'm offering you rest for the entirety of your life. If there's anyone that believes that today, come on, would you just give God a praise? Would you just thank God that he's working right now in your life? It's very possible that there's someone here today, maybe you're joining us online, and today as you hear this message, you're keenly aware of the fact that, man, I've been focusing on my role more than my soul. I've been living from the outside trying to heal the inside. No wonder it's been hard. Well, today you have the solution. It starts with Christ Jesus. You know, whenever I'm weak in an area, you know what I try to do? I try to surround myself with someone who's stronger. Won't you allow God to bring his strength into your life? To heal you in the soul? To make you well on the inside so you can experience wellness on the outside? If there's anyone here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but today is the day that you recognize your need for Christ. And you acknowledge that you have a desire for rest, for a new way of life. Would you do something with us? If you're online or you're here, would you raise your hand? Come on, just reach out to God. There's no shame in that. It's okay. See, God wants to meet you right where you are. And so today... Whether you're here or you're online, pray this with us as we close. Say, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you love me so much that you paid the price for my sin by dying and rising again. And so today, I die to anxiety. I die to worry. I die to burdens. I die to weariness, and I rise anew to a brand new life with you. Today I declare, you are my Lord, you are my Savior, and I'm traveling light. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, 
uh, past events that we've done, you'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.